your story is powerful. It's powerful for others to hear and for others to know how God can change a life and how God can direct a life. And that's what we have been talking about for the last few weeks. If it's your first time here during this series, we welcome you um, and thankful that you are here. But we have been looking about what it means for us to take our story and to, to use it however God sees fit. But more than anything, just to be able to take our story of what God is doing and has done in our life and shape that and share that. And we have been looking at an example in Galatians. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it to the book of Galatians. Um, if not, the, the verses will be on the screen or there's a Bible in the pew in front of you you can take. And we have been looking at Paul sharing his story in Galatians. And in, in Galatians, we see probably one of the most comprehensive times that Paul actually takes the time to say, well, here's, here's my story. Here's what's happened in my life. And the reason our stories are so powerful and the reason our story is so necessary to share is because God has designed us and God has made us to connect with Him and to connect with one another. You, say this with me. I am made to connect. Say that. I am made to connect. That's the truth. God designed us, created us, not to be all out here on our own, not to be alone, but to connect with one another. And what's beautiful is at the same time, God did not create us to all be alike. God did not create us to all do the same things, to think the same way, to act the same way, to believe the same things. God created us differently, but yet he created us to connect with one another. You see, dependence, dependence on God is a necessity because God created us and without him, we would not be here. So our dependence on an all-loving, all-knowing, powerful God is necessary. But our dependence on others, it's a gift. It's a gift that God has given, that we have the gift of being able to connect with one another. We, we have the ability to be able to, to come together and to learn and to grow and to make each other better, to challenge each other and to lead each other and, and to help one another. And you don't have to go very far to see images of that this week, that when a disaster or something happens, then everything gets thrown to the side and it's just time to connect. It's time to come together. Wouldn't it be beautiful if a disaster didn't have to happen for us to connect with one another? I mean, that, that's how we should be living our life all the time. See a need, and if I can meet it, I'll meet it. I can spend a little less time on self, and a little bit more time helping other people. And if we would live our lives that way, what an awesome connection that we would have with other people. It would be incredible. You see, your story, your story is part of that connection and your story stands alone. Your, your story is, is good and it stands alone, but your story to be powerful must be a testimony to what God is doing in your life it's not just your story that makes it so great it's your story that connects to what God has done that gives testimony and powerfulness to what a life following Christ can be 
So we want to look at this continuing story of what we've seen with Paul in Galatians, but I'd like to set the timeline and I'd like to set the table for this story a little bit. Um, because if you, if you pick it up right here in the middle, it's like, well, where is this? So let me, let me just do my best to give you a very brief uh, backstory on what's going on. This is what we're about to read. Of course, it's after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His ascension into heaven. And the, the Christian church and the Christian message had begun to grow. And at that point in time, Peter had become a, if not the, uh, key figure in leading the church. Now, this is the same Peter that was an apostle, the same Peter that denied Christ, the same Peter that ran scared at the, at the crucifixion that Jesus restored. He had now, this is a few years down the line, and the church had picked up steam, and, and Peter had become one of the pillars in the church, one of the leaders, if not the leader in the church. And, and he was at the forefront of leading the church to share the gospel message. Now, Peter, previous to the story that we're going to read today, he had um, seen, he had had a vision of a sheet that came down from heaven. And in that sheet, there were all kinds of animals and God told Peter to get up and go eat. Now, as strange as that may seem uh, to some of us to go, well, what in the world would that vision be about? That was, that was a very clear vision to Peter that, that God was saying, look, th that what I have called clean, you cannot call unclean. And at that point in time, there was a great division between the Jews and pretty much the rest of the world, the Gentiles. But at that point in time, at that vision, Peter understood that God was now bringing the gospel message not just to the Jews, but it was for everybody in the entire world. It was for all people. So to put it very loosely and very succinctly today, Peter was aware and Peter was open to those who were not Jews coming to Christ and to begin to follow him. And so he understood that, but he had a heart, Peter had a heart, and Peter had a calling to reach his own people, the Jews. And so that is where Peter was making his greatest efforts was within his own people. Now, I'm going to take a little side note here for just a minute. There are different ones of us called to do different things with a different heart for different people at different times with different gifts and different abilities who all come together in the body of Christ. And some of you may never have to leave Weatherford, Texas to do your greatest mission work in the world. And some of you have no business sitting in Weatherford, Texas because your greatest mission work is not here. And that's okay. We all come together under the body of Christ. Now, Peter was called to the Jews and he was doing his greatest work with his own people. I'm going to tell you something. That's hard. People might think that sounds fun. You know the hardest people to reach? You're looking at them. They're right here. Sometimes it's easy to get on a plane, fly halfway across the world, and talk to somebody about Jesus, but yet I don't know who my neighbor is that lives next door because I'm scared if I talk to them, ooh, what's, what are they going to say? But Peter was doing some hard work reaching the Jews. Now, what's Paul's backstory? Paul 
We've seen a little bit of this. Paul was also a Jew. He had grown up in the Jewish faith. And he was a persecutor of the Christian church. So there was a point in time when Peter was leading the Christian church and Paul was leading a group against the Christian church. Do you get that picture? Paul was persecuting the church even to death. Paul was traveling around to places, people who proclaimed to follow Christ and to follow this way. Paul was persecuting. Paul was putting them to death. And on the road to Damascus, Paul was encountered by Jesus Christ himself. Vision came down. And Paul, on the road to Damascus, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And then here we pick it up years later. And Paul did not get trained. He did not go to seminary. He did not come out of the church in Jerusalem. He didn't follow the typical path where the other ones had come out. As a matter of fact, we saw in this story earlier that it was at least 14 years after he began to follow Christ that he even went to Jerusalem to talk to the leaders. Part of that was because the leaders probably didn't want to talk to him at that point in time because they were still a little bit scared. But the other reason was because as Paul has been saying all throughout the first part of Galatians, that the gospel is not man-made. The gospel comes from God himself. The gospel comes from Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, God has the power to reveal it, to teach it, to lead it in our lives. And Paul knew his scriptures growing up as a, as a Jew. He knew the word of God. And then when he knew Jesus, he was able to put those things together. And God was using Paul to reach people who were not Jews. And, and we saw earlier in this story that Paul had even come to the point of wanting to make sure that what he was doing was right. So he had gone to Jerusalem even for their blessing. But we pick that up here because why do I give you all that backstory? Because today we're going to read an interesting passage where Paul and Peter disagree. Well, isn't that fun? Don't we love church disagreements? Isn't that what we come for, just to disagree with everyone and not get along and say things about one another? This is one of those passages that there's so much going on and so much here. You can't just read it and think, well, wow, that sounds like Paul's just being arrogant and what's up, you know, what's up his sleeve and what's he doing and all this. Kind of, it, you have to understand some context. You have to bring this, bring this into play. So we see what's happened is that Peter had been called to reach the Jews. And Paul had been called to reach the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and they're working together. Paul had already gone up to Jerusalem to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. I'm laying out my story. This is how I'm reaching people. And the leaders of the church, Peter and James and others, had blessed Paul and what he was doing. And so we see the story a little bit later. We pick it up in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. When Cephas, now that's Peter, just thought I'd throw that at you. When Cephas came to Antioch, which is where Paul was, I opposed him to his face. Wasn't that warm and fuzzy? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. But when, when they arrived, when his Jewish friends arrived, he began to draw back. And he began to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid, underline that, Peter, the leader, the pillar, the guy who everybody's looking to for leadership. Paul calls him out because he was afraid. Peter 
was afraid. <laughs> he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, what does that mean? The circumcision group was a group of people who was going around saying, you're not really following Christ unless you're circumcised. Now, we could begin to identify circumcision groups in our world today. Well, you're not really a follower of Jesus unless you, you fill in that blank. And that's what we're talking about is that there are people who go out and they try to add to this story. And that's what Paul was fighting against. And so he's saying that Peter began to draw back because those who belonged to the circumcision group showed up. It says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray. Now, y'all go, so? Well, Barnabas was, was an encourager. He was someone who was there with Paul. He was helping. He was kind of Paul's right-hand man for a long time. But this stuff was going on so much so to the point that even Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man, began to go, I'm going I'm to kind of come over here to, to this side of things. Now, I'm going to pause right here and just let you know a little bit of something. A lot of times we read Scripture, and we forget that we're reading the stories of men and women just like you and I are men and women. Peter had a temper. Peter was quick to speak. Peter was ready, fire, aim. Okay? We see that a lot in, in, in Scripture. Now, he's maturing by this point in time. That's not to throw Peter in, but that's just kind of his personality. Okay? Paul, I don't know that Paul had a fuse. And if he did, it was incredibly short. And if you, if you truly read the wording of a lot of Paul's letters that, we, we, that are here in the New Testament that are written to the church, most of the letters that he's writing to the church are letters of correction, saying, all right, <laughs> let, me, let me bring you back into line here for what's going on. So you have Peter, who's kind of a strong-willed person, and you have Paul, who's kind of a strong-willed person. So imagine, if you will, you're gathered together, you're here in this place, Paul's here, Peter's here, we're kind of at church together, and then this happens. When I saw, Paul said, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And then they all hugged and everybody felt good. And nobody was tense and it wasn't upset. Or, Can I just tell you something? That's a pretty intense moment. We're all hanging out at church. And somebody gets called out for, hey, you're supposed to be a leader. And you're not leading. As a matter of fact, you're leading people astray. You're, you're heading down this direction. So why in the world would Paul do something like that? Let's not focus on the conflict as much as the, as the reason behind it. Let, let's, let's just settle this right now. Paul already said it. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now there's your bottom line. Paul said... When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, not with my preferences, not with my desires, not with the church tradition, not with Jewish tradition, not with Gentile tradition, not with something that was happening in the culture that day that was, that was the, the best thing to do. He said, when I saw that what they were doing was out of line with the gospel, that it was going to cause people to be led astray from the gospel, then he felt compelled to speak in such a way that he did. 
And so that's why Paul spoke in that way. He goes on to say, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me paraphrase and summarize that. What Paul said is, look, we spent our whole lives as Jews trying to follow these traditions and these laws only to realize that when Jesus came, that the law was not leading us to salvation. It was a relationship with Christ. So we, as Jews, Paul, we laid down everything that we had and we followed Christ. And so we realized that there was no power in the law outside of what Jesus Christ had done. So we laid it down and we left it behind. So why... What Paul is saying, why then would you pick those burdens back up and start placing them on people? Why would you pick these traditions back up, Peter, and start acting this way again when we understand now that what we were doing was wrong? That what we were doing was not the right thing to do. Because, man, we've already had this. We've already had this point of humility where we had to turn it around. So why would you pick it back up again? He said, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Meaning that if I choose to follow Christ and then I go back to everything that I used to do in the same way that I used to do it. Meaning that if I say that I follow Christ and there is no change in my life, then really what I am is I'm just a lawbreaker. I'm just pursuing things that are in the past. He said, for through the law I died so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so this is where Paul just lays it on the line. He says, look, everything that I believed, everything that I pursued, everything that I studied everything that I persecuted the church about because I was so determined and so convinced that I was right and that I and he was not only convinced that he was right he can he was convinced that he was doing the right thing for God he said everything that I had so much so invested into this was crucified and buried with Christ My old way of living is gone. And now, the only life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That means if Jesus says do it, I do it now. I don't go back to my traditions. I don't go back to my history. I don't go back to these things. I don't rebuild them. I move forward from them. And so what he was so upset with Peter about was, why are you standing in front of the church doing the things that are bringing people back to rebuild traditions that didn't work in the first place? You cannot go back there. And so what can we learn from this today? 
See, Paul was making the argument very simply to clarify this, that the gospel was not something that came from the church in Jerusalem. It was not something that came even from the apostles that followed Christ. It was not something that came from tradition. The gospel came from God. And in that light, in that context, Paul did not need the permission from other people to preach the gospel. He didn't need permission or blessing from other people to do what God had called him to do. Though we know, we know from his own story just a few verses earlier that Paul, even though he didn't need that permission, out of respect and love for the leaders, he sought that permission and he sought that blessing anyway. That's huge. He's saying, I don't need this, but I'm going to do what honors you and what honors the Lord. I'm going to behave in such a way that brings honor to everyone, and that's what we want to do. And so that's why he was then frustrated when somebody else came and didn't, didn't give him the same respect. Now, I, look, I came to Jerusalem, and I did everything that you asked me to do there while you're trying to reach the people there. Now, here you come to Antioch where I'm trying to work, and you're drawing people away from what I'm trying to do. Stop. That's basically what he's saying. Stop it. And so what we see here is that we know that Paul had such a high respect for the gospel and such a high respect and love for the apostles and for Peter because we've seen that by his actions before, that it was okay for him to reach that point that he said, I'm going to call you out on this because you know that I love you and you know that I respect you. It wasn't throwing stones at Joel Osteen from a distance. Anybody see that one this week? I don't care for him. I don't know him. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they didn't do. But I just know this. Oh my goodness. Wow. I talked to a friend of mine who does work at a church in Houston. Works at Sugar Creek Church in Sugarland, and And his response was he was frustrated because their church could not respond because the roads were flooded and underwater. And he felt bad because he goes, ah, I wish we would have responded earlier because, you know, we couldn't even get together as a team until like Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, you're the people who need relief, not the people who need to give relief. And the fact that anybody would look at you and throw a stone when they're not there just shows their hypocrisy, not your need. So again, I'm not defending him because the prosperity gospel, we could get off on that one for just a little bit, but that, that's a different story. But nobody deserves that kind of treatment. Nobody deserves that kind of treatment. And so Paul is making that same type of an argument to go, look, you know me. You know what I'm trying to do. I know what you're trying to do. And what you're doing is, is causing me difficulty now. So here's the point. Love, not the law, has to lead our behavior. Love, not the law. And so what Paul's saying is, look, I know we grew up with all these traditions, and I know it's easy for us to want to go back and do things the way that we used to. Or I know that it's easy for us to want to go back and go, well, so-and-so was such a great leader, and we ought to do it like they did. And I know it's easy for us to go back and think that, man, I remember the time when it was this, and it should look like this. But Paul's saying, Peter, it's a new day, and all that stuff died and I don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow, but I know Jesus is leading it. And I know that if you continue to act like none of this stuff ever happened and you're leading people away from the gospel, not to it. And so that's what he's saying is that love has to lead the way, not the law. So a quick review of a word today that you probably heard me say a lot already and you're going to hear me say again. It's the word gospel. Now, gospel, simply put, is a word that means good news. 
And when you hear it in the context of the church or when you're at church and maybe you've never heard this word before, what we're talking about when we say the word gospel, it's a very quick way of us saying it's the good news of of God's redemption story for mankind. It includes Jesus. It includes God's working in the lives of people. It includes your story. It includes my story. The gospel message continues to grow because the gospel message is the good news of how God is at work redeeming his people. It's happening today in my life and in the lives of those who are following Christ and it happened then. And it's happening because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, that's the gospel. So you're gonna hear this word a lot as we go, but I wanna wanna give us just a few things that we can see from this passage that are, that are very important for us if we're gonna live this out today and if we're gonna stay the course on what God has called us to do. First thing is this, I must pursue unity. Now, pursue unity. I have to go after it. Meaning this, if you stand still, what naturally happens is disunity. What naturally happens is chaos. Unity is something that has to be worked on. It has to be pursued. And as weird as this may sound, what Paul was doing in this context was pursuing unity he was saying no no hey peter we got to come together on this we got to figure this out and so he was pursuing unity because this is exactly what he said when i saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel that was his motivation that's when i said to cephas you're a jew yet you live like a gentile and not like a jew how is it then that you force the gentiles to follow jewish customs what he's saying is you may be saying something but your actions here are causing disunity and we've got to come together on this so i'm just going to cut to the chase on this one i'm going to let the holy spirit speak to you this morning and and let this say to you whatever it needs to say to you that we need to identify the areas in our life that are divisive we need to identify the areas in our life that are divisive and we need to confront them with the truth of the gospel We need to confront the areas in our life that are divisive with the truth of the gospel. And this is what was happening in a very public setting at the time, but wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just learned to do this on our own? Wouldn't it be a lot easier if we just learned to spend time with the Lord and opened His Word and said, God, I don't feel that way. I don't want to follow that way, but your truth of your Word says this, and I need to change my heart, and I need to get this right. I need to admit when I'm wrong. I need to admit when I need to adjust. I need to admit that my plans aren't all that. I need to admit that we can do something a little bit different. And let me give you a quick thought on this. You can't wait for everyone else to do it first. (laughs) Oh, I hate that one. You can't wait for everyone else to get it. If God's leading you to do it, then he's leading you to do it. And he might not be dealing with your spouse yet he might not be dealing with your children yet he might not be dealing with your friends yet he might not be dealing with anybody else yet he might be waiting for you to step up and say okay i'm going to end the divisiveness in my heart and it doesn't matter what anybody else does i'm going to do what you're calling me to do God. and if we wait for everybody else to do it then that's when i say standing still just brings about more and more divisiveness somebody has to step up and go All right, God, I'll follow you in this. We have to 
pursue unity. Paul was trying to protect unity at all costs, even to the point of calling out the pillar of the church to say, hey, this isn't going in a, in a right direction. Now here's the second, second thing that we need to understand to stay the course. And this one's messy, but it's a truth that freedom means we're free. Now I'll let that sink in for a little bit. Freedom means we're free. Freedom means I'm free. Freedom means you're free. That means you get to behave and choose to behave. You get to respond. You get to say whatever you want. You get to act like however you want. You do. And the sooner that we understand that our actions, our behaviors, our words has an effect on other people, then maybe, maybe we kind of manage our freedom a little bit better. But there's a truth here that freedom means we're free. So that means Peter can act however Peter wants to act. Paul can act however Paul wants to act. Lyndall can act however Lyndall wants to act. You can act however you want to act. Freedom means we're free. And when Christ came and died on the cross and he gives us that freedom, that means that we're, we honestly have the freedom to follow him in any way that we choose to. We really do. Now, I want you to see this example again. Paul actually said that earlier. There was 14 years before I went to the pillars of the church to put what I was doing in front of them. But Paul was pursuing Christ all that time, not, not by a program or a plan, but he was, he was spending time with God and he was following something. But at the same time, he held in his heart the humility and the respect for others to humble himself and put himself under somebody else's leadership and say, we're going to do this your way, not my way. That is a wonderful use of freedom. I am free to do whatever I want, and so I choose to follow your leadership. That is Christian freedom. Ultimately, we say, God, I am free to choose with my life whatever I choose, so I choose you. And then we give him everything that we have, and he gets to lead. We're going to come to that in just a minute. But even with other people, we got to understand that freedom means we're free. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It means that God may be calling people to follow him in a way that's different in the way that he has called you. You do realize that we're sitting in church today because the rebels came along one day and changed the way that church happened, right? And now we're doing it their way. And before that, there were some people who came along and just rebelled and started doing church different. <laughs> Than the way, and yet we tend to hold on to traditions and things so so tightly that we miss the fact that God's a creative God, and we can learn and we can grow. But we have freedom. We have freedom in Christ. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. Lindell, you say freedom, and then people get to go out and do whatever they want, and I don't have that c c control over them when they do that. Well, you're right, because God allows us to make those choices. So. Here's a truth, though, that can call us. God can call people to follow any way he wants them to follow, but he will never call someone to follow them in a way that's contrary to the gospel. So you can very quickly tell the difference between somebody who's serving themselves and their selfish needs versus someone who's following the gospel. Paul, in what he was doing, was following the gospel, not his own personal needs, and it's obvious because that was his motivation. So our standard for life is not our comfort, it's not our tradition, it's God's word alone. God has the first and the final say in all things. So in our walk with Jesus, 
we need to hold with open hands anything, anything that doesn't come directly from the gospel. And in doing so, we'll be sure not to burden other people. Because you realize that, right? When we hold on to things that don't come directly of the gospel, then we tend to put on other people burdens that they were never intended to carry. That's exactly what Paul was referring to as a circumcision group. Jesus has given us freedom, and now these people are coming back, and they're throwing traditions on top of this that are not in line with the gospel. They're asking them to carry things that they never should have to carry. We need to give them the freedom to follow Christ in the way that God is calling them to follow Christ, and we need to support them, and we need to love them, and we need to get behind them, and we just need to make sure that everything that they're doing is in line with the gospel, even if it makes us uncomfortable. As long as it's in line with the gospel, I have no business correcting them. That's what he's saying. So remember, in this story, Paul had done that. He had gone to Jerusalem, and he had submitted himself to the leadership to confirm that what he was doing was in line with the gospel. And they even said, man, what you're doing is different than what they're doing, but we're going to shake your hand and we're going to send you on, but we're not going to do anything that you're doing. And that's what they had already done. And so the last thing I want to bring up this morning is this, is that as a follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to be a catalyst for connection. So Paul's motivation this, in, in his confrontation with Peter was to be a catalyst to bring people together. And I know that seems like, well, isn't that weird kind of calling somebody? No, because sometimes you just have to say, look, we need to get this issue buried so that we can move on and we can come together in this. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to be a catalyst for connection. And that's why he lo- writes those words that I've heard and I I think are pretty famous words in the Christian faith for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me our number one singular greatest without a doubt calling on the face of this earth is to connect other people with Christ. And we do that with the truth of the gospel and the power of our story. That's how we do that. God's gifted you to be able to share that story. And further, we're supposed to not only connect them to Christ, but we're supposed to connect them in faith and help them grow in their knowledge and in their faith in Christ. And so Paul was mad at Peter because he was behaving in a way that was bringing division in a place that was supposed to be unified. And he called it out. And so when you look at what Paul wrote here, that I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Honestly, what he's saying is, look, Peter, my preferences are gone. My opinions are gone. My way of doing things, they're gone. My self is gone. I have been crucified. I do whatever it takes to live for God. He's saying, if I have to move, I'll do it. If I have to be shipwrecked, I'll do it. If I have to get on a boat and go to Rome, I'll do it. If I have to sacrifice, I'll do it. If I have to give, I'll do it. If I have to take a stand and call you out, I'll do it. If I have to submit to your authority, I'll do it. As long as Christ is made great and as long as the gospel message is put in front of anything else that we're doing. That's what's most important, and that's what comes out in this. So what Paul is saying is, look, 
my sole motivation in life is for others to experience the love of Christ. That's it, period. So we have a choice today. We have a choice of whether we're going to believe and we're going to live like that or whether we're going to continue to, to hold on to things that are, that are in our life. And, and I like to put that choice very simply in just these two words. My choice is this. It's fear or it's faith. It's fear or it's faith. Well, Lindell, how could you say fear? What were those words I asked you to underline at the first of this message about Peter? Peter began behaving in a way that was contrary to the gospel because he was afraid of the opinions of other people. Peter, the man who had stood by Christ, Peter, the man who had denied Christ and been restored, Peter, the man who was now this pillar who'd been in jail and been out and all these, then he gets around his buddies and he becomes afraid that, well, if I start acting this certain way, then the people who really love and respect me, I don't know what they're going to think. Our choice is always fear or it's faith. 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears has not, made, has not been made perfect in love. So I'll point it down like this. The only thing that can keep followers of Christ from living like He wants is fear. Fear that people might think something of them. Fear that things might not happen the way that they want them to. Fear that life won't work out the way that they think it should. Fear that if I follow God, it's going to be hard. Fear that if I have to let go of things, I don't want to. It's fear. It's always fear. Fear that somebody might say something. Fear, it, it's always fear. But listen, faith is driven by love. And if we truly love our neighbor, then we'll act like it. We won't be driven by fear of, well, what, what are they going to think if I, I, I I'm going to love them so much that I'm going to say the things that point them to the gospel no matter what it costs me. Can you imagine the risk that Paul took to say the words that he said? And when you actually read some of Peter's gospel later on, you see that there is mutual respect. There was not animosity. There was not division with that. There was, you know, hey, Paul knows what he's doing. <laughs> and so you see that coming together. So here's the closing thought. If I love, then I will... I will what? If I love, if love is my motivation, then I will what? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm going to give us a time to respond to this. I want you to think. If, if I'm truly motivated by love in my life, then what is it that I have been so scared of doing? Who is it that I've been so scared to share with? What is that thing in my life that's been this big hairy monster that's standing in front of me that I have not allowed me to move forward? What is it that I need to let go of? If, if I truly love and love is my motivation, then I will, what is it for you? Because I believe God is calling each one of us to action. That God is calling each one of us to live out our love and to live out our story in such a way that it's powerful for other people. And if we will let go of that fear and we will allow love to be our motivation, then we will do powerful things for God.